So over the last few weeks, uh, over the course of the month of August, we have been going through this series titled Reboot, uh, where we are trying to look at things that are pretty familiar and look at them with a new lens to think about who we are as a church, what we're called to be doing, uh, how we should be spending our time, how we should be spending our resources as, as individuals, but as, as a church as a whole. And, and the starting point for this reboot is the question of who is Jesus to you? We've been asking this question each week to say, who is Jesus to you? It's the, the question that Jesus asked his followers in Matthew chapter 16. He says, who do you say that I am? There's a lot of different answers to who Jesus could be. There's only one answer that's correct. And so he asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter responds and says, you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God. He answers correctly. And so this is the answer that we each need to be working towards as we, we think about who we are as followers of Jesus. We ask the question, who is Jesus to you? And the answer needs to be, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if that is our answer, that will radically change the way we live our lives. That if that is what we really believe about who Jesus is, it's going to make a difference in our life and it's going to make a difference in our church. That if we're living the truth of who Jesus is. As a church, we have said that we are a church that is about making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. That's, that's why we exist. That's what we are called to do. We're, we're making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. And this is a mission for each and every one of us. It's not a mission that is unique to the church staff. It's not a mission that's unique to, to the leadership or just a select few. For every single one of us, we are called into this mission of disciple-making. And so as we look at different things through, through different lenses, we are rebooting how we, we are operating as a church. And so we've looked at three things that we want to focus our time, focus our talent, focus our treasure on to help us make disciples. These three things are gather, grow, and go. And for the second week of the series, we talked about gather, the importance of us gathering to, to worship together. That, that in a public context like this, in a, in a larger gathering, there are three things that that does really well. It's a place that, that, where there can be inspiration, there, it's a place where we can have a, a sense of momentum, that, that there's this larger thing that we're a part of. And it's a place that we can have preaching, that this context allows those three things to happen pretty well, that we are inspired by Jesus. He is at the center of what we do, that, that we see that there is momentum in the kingdom of God. We're part of the, the movement of God. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves, and, and we look to the word of God to speak to us, to disciple us. And so the gathering is important for us. For us to, to really get the most out of our gathering times together, we need to do three things. We need to commit to being here, that, that, that being here is important, that, that it's a priority for what we're doing. We need to come prepared, that, that who we are throughout the week is going to overflow into our time together, that, that our time with God throughout the week and the relationship we have with him will overflow into this context. And then we need to be inviting others to join us as well. The second 
thing that we talked about last week is grow. The, the grow is the opportunity for us to gather in smaller groups, in life groups, in these spiritual families uh, to, to help us grow together, to help us grow closer to God, to grow closer to each other. And there, there is, in this context, there can be a closeness to one another that can't exist in a larger context. Uh, there's support for one another as we, we provide for one another spiritually and physically. And it's a place where we can challenge one another. We can ask the questions of, of what is God saying to us? What, what is God wanting to do in your lives? And then help hold one another accountable to what we've committed to do. And so it provides a relationship where things, where, where, where life can be transformed, where God can speak into our lives and he can speak into our lives through others and bring about transformation. And so for us, we need to be bringing several things into that experience. We need to be praying. We need to be praying for the people in our groups. We need to be praying that, that God will work through that, that, that group time. Uh, the second one is consistency. Consistency is a consistent factor in all of these, right? That we, we need to be present and, and we're bringing something, which gives us the third, which is service. That we, we come to a group experience to, to serve one another. And we have to be willing to be a part of the group, not just show up to the group. And then the fourth one is having that extra hangout time. That it's more than just a weekly meeting. It's really doing life together. That there's the activities that go even beyond that weekly time. And so today we're going to be concluding with our final point, And that is go. We're going to be looking at what it means to go. As we, as we think about the question of going, we have this question of what does God expect of us? What does God really want from us as his followers? Uh, not, not, don't hear what does God require of us uh, to be saved. We're not talking about that today, but, but what does he expect of us? If, if we really believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what are the implications for our lives in that? What should we be going and doing? And if you look throughout the story of Scripture, there is this, there's this thematic thread that runs throughout it that draws a picture for us of who God is and what he wants for his people. And what does he want for Israel? We see throughout the Old Testament what he, he wants for Israel. We see throughout the New Testament what he wants for us. And there's this theme that runs through these of justice and compassion, we see that God wants justice for his people, and he, we see that, that God wants compassion for his people. It's summarized really well in Micah 6, 8, where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He's shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, is the question. What does the Lord require of you? And the response is, to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so we, we see this picture of who God is, and we see these, these three things of what God is expecting of his people. He's expecting them to act justly. He's expecting them to love mercy, and he's expecting them to walk humbly. In Luke 4, Jesus is presenting himself in the synagogue and he's, he's reading from Isaiah what we just read earlier in Isaiah. He reads Isaiah and then gets up to, in front of the people and says, I am the fulfillment of this promise. 
I am the fulfillment of Scripture, of of what God has been saying and what God has been doing for 20 centuries. I'm the fulfillment of that. He specifically quotes Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus is quoting about himself and says, I'm the fulfillment of this. And we, we read through earlier this, this image in Isaiah that, that paints this picture of what God's desire for his kingdom is like. And it's, it's written to religious people. It's written to people who have all the practices right and, and, and they're fasting. And, and God is saying that your attempts at holiness, your attempts at the religious life, the, your attempts at what it means to be a church, those attempts are shallow and insincere. That you're going through the motions, you're looking good, you're getting dressed up for the parts, and you're going through the actions of it, but it's not sincere. That that, that there's this religiousness to us that appears to be seeking his presence, but God can see through that. God can see through the facade. God can see through the actions that we're going through. And he sees into the heart and sees what we're really about. And their rituals, the, mo- the things that they're going through, that, the actions that they're going through, the religious festivals that they're experiencing, they're going through these things and those aren't pleasing to God. Something's missing And so then we ask the question, if this is not pleasing God, if if this fasting, if if these religious experiences are not pleasing to God, then what is it that is pleasing to him? And in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 6, it says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? God says, it's not this. This is what I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And so there is this focus on justice and mercy this compassion for others. The community is to be marked by these characteristics, that that if they're going to go through these religious experiences, then, then their actions better be marked by these characteristics, to be caring for the poor, to be providing for others, to be sharing with others. And then God gives this incredible present, uh, uh, this incredible promise that says he will be present He will be present if the people have this kind of faith, a faith that's demonstrated in this kind of action. And so Luke 4, Jesus says that I am the fulfillment of that. That the promise is that God will be present. And Jesus comes as Emmanuel, as God with us. And so God is sending Jesus to be present with us 
with us so that he can be in our midst as evidence of who God is and what his coming kingdom is like and what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Matthew 25 gives us another picture of God's heart and what God wants for us. This is, a, this is a passage that is looking at Judgment Day and gives us this picture of what God feels about poverty and, and feels about injustice. And so Matthew 25, this is a fairly long reading, so, so bear with me for just a minute. Listen to these words in Matthew 25 as Jesus describes what the judgment will be like. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you. And the king replies, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And so there's this picture of what's at God's heart what he longs for his community to be, what he longs for his, his kingdom to be known as. That there is a care for and a concern for the least of these. Now, now reading passages like Isaiah 58, reading passages like Matthew 25, uh, these can have some pretty significant implications for our lives especially as we think about being uh, an affluent society in the U.S. What, what does this really mean for us as, as we look at, at what God is calling his people to do? He, he lists out these things that, that bring him joy, that bring him pleasure. Now, now, we're not saying that God is requiring us to do all these great works and all of these works are piled up to satisfy God. We're, we're not operating out of this sense of scarcity where we have, to, we have to satisfy God by doing a lot of stuff. That's not the, the direction that we're going here. But we do see his heart 
for justice. We see his heart for mercy and his heart for compassion. Those who are on the outskirts, those who are underprivileged, those who are being oppressed, those who are captive, those who are in bondage, we see his heart for freedom. And we look at our own lives and think, what does this mean for us? See, if we read, we read these passages and, and, and see that if we are to be committed disciples of Jesus, then there needs to be some visible, some visible evidence of our transformed lives. That if our lives really are different because of answering the question, who is Jesus to you? If we really answer the question that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who sets the captive free, if we really believe that, then our lives will have a different track. There will be visible evidence to that belief as God works in us and transforms us in those beliefs. And so there should be tangible expressions of our faith, tangible expressions of our discipleship. If we are modeling our lives after Jesus, then we would share the same concern that he has for the least of these. And this care and concern is, is rooted not in this sense of I have to prove myself to God, but it's rooted in Jesus' commandments to his disciples. When he, he sums up all the, law of, all the law, he sums it up with two commandments that says to love God and love others. And so it is out of sense of love that we seek out the least of these, that we care for the least of these. Because we're to love God and we're to love others. And, and the two are intertwined. He says the greatest commandment is both of these. So, so to love others is to love God. And to love God is to love others. You can't have one without the other. The commandments are interwoven. That if we really love God, we're going to love our neighbor. And if we really love our neighbor, we're going to love God because the two coexist. The two cannot be separated from one another. And we discover throughout the story of Scripture what the Father loves. If, if we love the Father, we're going to love what he loves. You see this with, with kids so often, where the favorite sports team of the kid is the favorite sports team of the Father. Not because it's the better sports team, but because the Father loves it. We love what our Father loves. And we see through the story of Scripture who the Father loves, and who he calls us to love. And so as Jesus is leaving his disciples, he's, he's lived this life with them, modeling this care and concern for the least of these. He gives them these final instructions in the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. He says, go. Go into all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. What has he commanded? To love God and love your neighbors. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so the call to go out for us is, is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To go and proclaim the freedom for the captive both in our words and in our actions. We go out and we take the message of Jesus with us in very real and tangible ways. 
to go and, and take the message of Jesus into the world, we, and we call believers to love God, we call believers to love others, and we disciple others who will do the same. We, we disciple people, new believers, into doing the same. It says this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to love God and we're going to love others. And so call, God calls us to go out. We're sent to be his representatives, representatives, ambassadors of the kingdom beyond these walls. We go out as his ambassadors. John 20, 21 Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He has come for us to be the presence of God with us. He has come to, to be Emmanuel, to be the presence of God. And he says, just as I have come, now you need to go. I am sending you out to be a part of this mission. It's not a mission for someone else, somewhere else. It is a mission for each and every one of us. It's a calling that is on each of our lives as followers of Jesus. And so what does this look like for us? How do we put this into action? There are, are an infinite number of ways that you can do this as an individual. As you build relationships with your neighbors, as you feel compelled to participate in certain ministries, as, as you uh, carry homeless packs in your vehicle, or as you serve meals in different ministries, there's, there's lots of different ways that this can happen. But as a church, we want to combine some of our resources and combine some of our efforts to have some focused effort on what it means to go into our neighbors, into our neighborhood. What does it mean to go and love our neighbors? And so there's things that we are doing already. Uh, we've, we've got the food pantry, and if you will notice in your bulletin, there is a long list of food pantry items that we are out of. Uh, we've served 19 families this month already. And so, so the food pantry is one way that we very practically feed the poor. Then we have our Wednesday night dinner, which is a great opportunity to serve the neighborhood and, and to, to meet our neighbors and, and provide food there. Uh, there's a variety of ministries that you're involved in throughout town, uh, things like Kairos that goes into prisons and, and, and ministers to people in prison. So there's things that are already happening and things that we're already participating in. But we want to focus in some of these efforts on this immediate neighborhood. And so there, there is an insert in your bulletin that I want you to pull out and take a look at. It says go on the top of it. And so we're going to be launching into an effort to be Jesus in this neighborhood. And so we're, we're going to look at what does it mean to love our neighbors, like, like literally our neighbors as a church. Uh, you're each called to love your neighbors in your neighborhood, and you live all over town, and so be a good neighbor and love your neighbors, uh, the people that you're in contact with. But as a church, collectively, we're going to focus in on this range that is, uh, is bounded by San Pedro and Wyoming Academy and Candelaria. That gives us a map of, of where we're looking at focusing our efforts. And so in that, in that range of space, we have an elementary school, we have a middle school, we have a high school, we have a police substation, we have a fire station, we have other churches to partner with, we have other social service agencies, 
Uh, we have lots of different needs in this neighborhood. It's an incredibly diverse neighborhood with very low income to very high income ranging in that area. And each of those demographics have very different needs, but they all have needs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, form a team of people who feel called and, and compelled to be a part of this to go on a research mission, to go into the neighborhood and discover what it is that this neighborhood needs. Who is this neighborhood? Who lives here? Uh, what are the needs? Who's already serving in this area? There's a list of questions there on top of the map on that insert. Uh, what are the needs of this community? We can guess what a lot of those needs are and probably guess correctly, but, but actually go in and have conversations with people who live here and say, what are the needs? Go talk to the police station and say, what are the needs in this area? Um, how can we learn what needs are? Uh, what are, ec what are um, other resources that are available? Uh, what are other external resources that are available? Uh, how do we go about connecting the needs with the available resources? Uh, so there may be a need that we don't have resources for, and there may be resources that there are no needs for. And so we need to find how the ones that match together so we can connect those. And what's the best way to do this in the name of Jesus? How does this connect people to Jesus? And so this is going to be an effort that we're going to be working on uh, start, starting in October. We're going to start getting this team together to start forming just this basic go into the neighborhood and discover. Just assess the neighborhood. And how can we be a church that will make a difference in this neighborhood? Because if, if this church were no longer here for whatever reason, would the neighborhood even notice? Would they even care that we're gone? Or, or would, would they say, wow, we, we are really missing something because that church is no longer there. We want to be the church that is making a difference in this neighborhood. There's a picture book called The Flower Man. Um, and this, this book has, uh, I, I had this sitting on my desk and Clara came into my office and started flipping through it and she said, Daddy, there are no words in this book. There are no words in this book. It is just pictures in The Flower Man. And so we're going to look at each of these pictures and see the story that it tells just through images. We've got this first image, this first picture. And it is very dark, very dreary, not a lot of life. There is this dried up lake down at the bottom with an abandoned vehicle and a bunch of garbage. Things are not going well, very few people out. But on the far left, you see this man coming into town. And this man has color and light and life as he walks into this place. He walks across the bridge and he brings with him his, his bag, the little flower in his hat, and comes in. The second picture he comes into the town, into the neighborhood. No one's on the streets. If they are, they're up to no good. If you can look really closely at it, you can't see from the screen, but each window has a little story of its own, of, of people who are sad, angry, 
fighting with one another. Uh, there is a thief walking around on one of the rooftops. And then the next image, he comes to the spot where there's this little house on the corner that's for sale. It's broken down, it's a mess, but he buys this house. And he, in the next picture, moves into this house and starts fixing it up. And you can see the color start to expand. As he fixes up this house, he, he plants some grass, he fixes the shutters, he, he makes it his own, and, and everybody is kind of in their own little thing still. But people are starting to look and say, what is going on with this man? There's lots of different characters here that you can follow through the entire story. He fixes up the place. And then the next one, he plants a garden. He's got flowers in his yard. He starts waving at the neighbors. He starts sharing that flower. And you can see that there's a little girl, girl on the bottom right side there who now has light and life to her as she carries one of his flowers with him going out into the neighborhood. Everybody is still in their state of chaos. But others start to notice. There are some that look at her very judgmentally that she's carrying this flower. There's others that look on with a little bit of concern, question of what's going on. And then the next image, more and more of the neighborhood starts to take on life. And everywhere where you see life, you can see one of these man's flowers in the windows or in their hands as they hold the influence that he has had as, as he moves into the neighborhood and life and light takes over. But there are some who cannot tolerate this, and so they move out. There's this family down in the, down in the front there that is packing up into the moving truck to get out of the neighborhood because things are not going the way they want them to go. And then the next image more life. People start coming out into the streets to visit with one another, to, to play with one another. You see uh, the man who was in a wheelchair all by himself is now being cared for by others. Uh, you see the, the homeless veteran that is now being provided for. You see uh, relationships mended. You see people who were, were fighting are now having dinner together. Uh, you are seeing that the, the thief is no longer present. People are happy. People are out and in the neighborhood. And even at night, there's full of life, full of joy, as the darkness has moved out. Neighborhood has been transformed. And then the final, or not the final one, the next image, the man packs up his stuff, puts a for sale sign out in front of his house, and then heads on out of the out of the neighborhood, and moves on somewhere that is familiar with a previous image, that family that moved out. He gives one final stop and gives the little girl his last flower in that neighborhood, and that family is finally transformed. And so it's a powerful story with no words. This image of what it means to come into a neighborhood, to, to bring life and light into a neighborhood, 
to come and bring the love of God to others to be of influence in the neighborhood. And so can we be that little house on the corner that isn't just about us doing our thing inside of the walls, but we are going outside of the walls and creating a significant, long-lasting impact on this neighborhood. That people come into a, a, a transforming encounter with God because of how God is using this family. Because of how God is using us as a church, this neighborhood can be transformed. And so that is go. And how can we, in a very organized way, as a group, make the biggest impact on this neighborhood? And so I want to encourage you if, you, if you feel like being a part of that assessment team is something that, that you feel like you really want to be a part of, and there's a lot of different roles that can be played in that assessment team, if that's something that you feel compelled to do, then I want to encourage you to check that box on your communication card. There's a box there that says, I want to join a GO team. Join that team, and then we will start this process over the next month, or next couple months, talking about what that looks like, and then bringing what we have discovered about the neighborhood back to the congregation and say, this is where we feel God is really calling us to make a difference in this neighborhood. So let's go ahead and stand as we conclude this morning. I want to be the kind of neighbor that has that house that is full of life and light. That because of, of the life that we're living, the neighborhood is transformed. That a neighborhood that is dark, a, neighbor, a neighborhood that is broken, is transformed by the power of God. And so each week we are prayerfully an answering these two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what are you going to do about it? As you hear these words of Jesus, as you hear God over the course of Scripture talking about his heart and his desire for justice, his desire for compassion, what is God saying to you? What is he convicting you of? What is he encouraging you to do? What is he prompting you to do? And then don't just let it sit there. Make a decision about a course of action that you need to take. That because of what God is speaking to you about, you are going to do something different. It may be something very small, just a small step of obedience. It may be a giant leap. I've, I've known, I've, I've had friends that have sold their house to move into the neighborhood to be a part of that neighborhood because of the mission of, of God in that space. So it can be something big, like selling a house and moving. It can be something small, like coming and eating with us on Wednesday night. And everything in between. So what is God saying to you? We're going to have a time of prayer. We'll have shepherds down front. You can pray as a life group. You can pray as a family. You can go seek out uh, somebody else to pray with. Uh, this is a time for us to move around and pray for the needs that we have. Uh, many of us find ourselves in dark situations where we need somebody to bring in that encouragement to us. That there, there, there is brokenness, there is bondage, there is hurt, there is pain, uh, there, there, there is 
just a, a weakness in our lives right now, and we need God to come in and bring life into that. And so seek out somebody to pray with in that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your message of hope, your message of life. God, thank you for sending Jesus into this place so that we can experience you and your kingdom in new and powerful ways. So God, I pray that you will continue to convict us, that you will continue to to mold us and stir us and, and shape us into the disciples that you want us to be. Help us to reflect the one that we follow. Help us to be more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.